Thank you, sir. Good morning. Hi, how's it going? My name is Dave. I'm the children and families pastor here. How did uh, how did you all go with the with the game? Did uh, who who reckons they knew all of those answers? Give me a wave if you were like, yeah, I, I spotted them all. Give me a wave if you've seen all of those movies. I I love Pixar movies. I love Pixar movies. I um. I've seen all the Pixar movies, and I can confidently say there is something to love about all of them, even Cars 2. I don't care what anyone says, it's funny. <laughs> but one of my favorites is, uh, is Finding Nemo. I watch Finding Nemo a lot. Before I became a dad, I probably watched Finding Nemo once a year. Now it's like twice a month. Uh, <laughs> It's a great movie. It's, a, it's an incredible story about this dad who goes on a quest to find his lost son, and it's a really great example of the hero's journey. The hero's journey is a common template for, um, for stories uh, popularized by a guy named Joseph Campbell uh, that involve a, a hero who goes on a journey, goes on an adventure. There's a bunch of trials and uh, challenges and temptations that lead up to some kind of decisive moment or crisis or final showdown, uh, and then they go home changed and transformed at the end. So for example, in Finding Nemo, we've got a dad fish, Marlin, who goes on an adventure to find Nemo. There's a lot of challenges to overcome, and then, spoilers, he doesn't just succeed in Finding Nemo, but he's also transformed into a better dad by the end of the movie. It's beautiful, I love it. Uh, and I think that we love stories like this. Uh, the reason the hero's journey is so popular is because they're not just about a hero overcoming some sort of outside external obstacle, but the hero overcomes something inside themselves. And, uh, and I think we like that because we, we all have weaknesses and limitations and fears um, and misconceptions that have the potential to hold us back from the life that we were supposed to live. And when we see a hero overcome uh, the, the things inside themselves, it gives us hope that we can overcome ours. So today, we're going to look at a story from the Bible. We're going to look at it. It's, it's another story about a fish, or it has a fish in it. Um, and it's the story of Jonah. And it's in these unexpected differences in the story that I believe that God is wanting to speak to us today. So let's take a moment together and invite him to do that. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us. I just pray that this morning you would speak through me. Let it be your words that we hear and not mine. Speak to us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the hero's journey is, is in three kind of main blocks. And the first block is, uh, Campbell calls it departure. It begins with the call to adventure, uh, which is exactly how Jonah begins. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah is a prophet of the Lord. His, his job, his whole thing is receiving uh, words from God and, um, and sharing them with whoever God tells him to share them to. And that's his, that's his call to adventure at the beginning of this story. In the hero's journey, there's often a refusal of the call for which Jonah is famous for, right? He, he refuses this particular call and he goes uh, and travels in the opposite direction. There's often a, a mentor or a helper character like Dory, um, 
And, uh, and in, this, in this story, in the story of Jonah, uh, it's God himself kind of fills this role in the story. God is with, with Jonah from the beginning and is the one um, telling him what he needs to do. Um, the hero crosses the threshold into the unknown. Frozen 2 did a whole song just about that one little part of the, part of the story. Uh, and Jonah does this as well, right? But he does it in the wrong direction. He goes, he crosses the threshold into the, into the unknown in the wrong direction on purpose as part of his refusal of the call. And then the last part of departure, um, Campbell calls it belly of the whale. Guess where he got that phrase from? This moment is the, the this part of the story is, he describes it as the final separation from the hero's known world um, which they have a moment which shows a willingness to undergo some sort of metamorphosis, some kind of rebirth. And this is kind of what, what happens with Jonah, right? He ends up literally in the belly of a whale or a big fish, unclear. Um, whales are not fish, I know that, I promise. Um, but it's a translation thing. Um, because he knows that he's run from God, he's disobeyed, he tells the sailors he's with to throw him into the sea, uh, and then he's swallowed by a gigantic fish. Now, when I was taught this story as a child, um, I was taught that like this is an example of why you should never disobey God, you shouldn't run from God, because he, he will find a way to force you to do the thing, right? Um, like with Jonah, Jonah didn't want to do the thing, but God found a way to make him do it. And that's not what this story is. And I think it's important that we, that we understand that, um, because that's just not how God works, right? God has given us free will. And the rest of the Bible is full of stories where people refuse to obey God, choose to disobey Him, and God allows it. Um, a few weeks ago, Sarah preached from the book of Numbers, and there's a, there's a classic example and story in the book of Numbers where the Israelites choose to disobey God. God tells them to go into the promised land, and they choose not to, and God says, okay, if that's how you want to do it, then your kids can go into the promised land, but... but I'll allow you to just stay here in the wilderness. Now, God, we still have to face the consequences of our actions when we choose to disobey God. But this is not a story about God forcing Jonah to do a thing. See, what we need to understand is that Jonah knew the deal with being a prophet of God. He knew that there was a responsibility. He knew that what it meant was a prophet that refuses to prophesy, uh, the, the consequence of that is death. And so this is why Jonah told the sailors to throw him into the sea. He, he knew that the consequences that he had chosen was death. See, Jonah should have died in the sea. He knew that that's what he had chosen. And the belly of the whale is not God's way of forcing him or trapping him or manipulating him to do the thing. Uh, the, the belly of the whale is not God's way of forcing Jonah. It's God's way of saving Jonah. The belly of the whale is this moment where God gives, creates a way for Jonah to have a second chance. <clears throat> it's an example of God's compassion and mercy. And Jonah indeed has this moment of what Campbell would call rebirth. Because I think he, has the, he prays this prayer in Jonah chapter 2 that shows us a, a very real example a genuine prayer of repentance. Um, in Jonah 2, verse 9 to 2, Jonah prays this prayer. And that there he says things like in verse 4, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. And in verse 9, 
but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. I don't think Jonah is just messing around or talking nonsense. I think he genuinely has this moment where he turns back, he repents, and he commits himself to God's will. <clears throat> so that's departure. The second part of the hero's journey is, uh, Campbell calls it initiation. And uh, this is the part of the story where all the, all the stuff happens, right? All the challenges, there's a whole bunch of challenges and tests and temptations and trials. Uh, the, there's one part of it, he calls it the road of trials. And uh, it leads up to, to this decisive moment which prepares the hero for the final task. And what I notice in this story is that Jonah, this is probably the first, the first kind of big unexpected deviation from this hero's journey template, um, because in real life, Jonah just kind of skips all this. He sort of has this decisive moment inside the fish, and he repents and he commits to God's will, and then the very next verse tells us that the fish just vomited him out onto the beach, and he was ready to go and do the final task. And it just reminds me that well, there's a difference between Jonah's story and the typical um, hero's journey, which is that Jonah, Jonah's helper is the creator of the universe. Jonah has God with him. And it reminds me that when we have God with us, now I'm not saying we get to skip the road of trials, but when we have God with us, the road of trials is easier. It may not be a shorter road, it may not be lighter, but it is easier. Last week, um, Pastor Brian shared a great message with us about how because the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and, and lives with us, we are never alone. And he shared some great um, testimony and examples about how even though the road of trials that we go through may be dark and may be difficult, uh, it's easier and, and it's better because we know we have God with us. As it says in Psalm 23, even, if, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Now, if you haven't listened to that message, I encourage you to jump on YouTube and, and, uh, and watch it and listen to it because it's, it's really good. Um, it's a reminder for us here that when God is with us, the road of trials is easier. And that's the, the, um, the initiation part of the story kind of be, ends with the, the big kind of final showdown, final, uh, final task. And for Jonah, that's Jonah chapter 3. And in Jonah chapter 3, it begins with my favorite verse in the book of Jonah. It's this incredible verse that just says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And I love that so much. I love it so much because how, how often has the word of the Lord come to us a second time and a third time and a fourth time? And we didn't even deserve it the first time. We didn't even deserve it the first time, but we need it to come a second time. And that's who God is. He continues to speak to us. He continues to give us opportunity to obey and to turn to him. And the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. It's an incredible moment. And this is what it's, what it's all about. It gives him a second chance to be part of God's plan. Because God could have just found a different prophet to go and actually obey, but he chooses to give Jonah a chance to be that person who's involved in the plan. So Jonah goes to Nineveh and he, uh, he obeys, which is also another incredible moment. He obeys and he delivers this message to the Ninevites. And what's even more exciting is that they respond. They respond and the king says, who knows? 
God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not, pressure, will not perish. And sure enough, they turn away from their evil and, and God, um, it says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And that brings us to the end of the initiation section. The third part, the third part of the hero's journey is called return. And in the return, in the return section, this is where the transformed hero comes back home and they integrate the wisdom that they've received from their journey back into normal life. So at the end of Finding Nemo, Marlon comes, we, see, we get this great scene at the end where Marlon, Nemo's dad, he he's, he's takes Nemo to school and we get to see the difference between how he is then and how he was at the start. And where he, instead of saying to Nemo, go be safe, he says, go have an adventure. And we can see that Marlon's conquered his fear and he's now integrated that back into the regular life of just taking his son to school um, and the other things that he does. And this is where Jonah's story takes the biggest deviation, the biggest unexpected turn away from the typical hero's journey. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And then chapter four begins with this verse. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. This is a heartbreaking moment in the story. I get to this part in the story and, and I'm upset because it kind of feels like, has Jonah really been transformed? Jonah's, we've seen him have this genuine moment of repentance and this incredible example of God's mercy and compassion by saving him and letting him have this next chance. And now I'm hearing this bit and thinking, did, how deep did that really go? Because I, I might expect, what, what I might expect Jonah to do is, is be, have his, his mind has been blown by the mercy and compassion of God. And I kind of expect him to then take this wisdom and this knowledge and go back to Israel and say, guys, you got to know what happened. I should, this is what I did and I did the wrong thing and I should be dead in the sea, but I'm not because God is merciful and compassionate and God saved me. And then I saw God save all these people in Nineveh and, and we need to turn back to God as well. And, and we need to understand how great and how merciful and loving and compassionate God is, but Jonah doesn't do any of that. Instead, Jonah finds a spot to sit, and he just watches, and he hopes that God will still destroy Nineveh, even though they repented, and then he gets angry when God doesn't do that. It's like he learned nothing. I'm kind of gutted by this because I get invested in Jonah's story, right? Like he's the, I'm, I'm happy that the Ninevites got spared, but like Jonah's the hero of this story, right? So I want, I want to see Jonah's story kind of finish positively, um, but it, it sort of doesn't. And I'm also kind of gutted by it because I can relate to Jonah. There's been a lot of times when I've, I've learned something from God and I've thought, yeah, that's, that's really good. That's going to change my thinking. That's going to change my behavior. And then I've thought, 
oh, I've learned that already. I think I've learned that lesson already. Why didn't it stick back then? Why am I having to learn it again now? And I'm not just talking about big miracles or big radical encounters with God because not, not all of us can say that we've experienced God in that way, but I'm just talking about any time that we've experienced something or learned something, any time that something's happened that's made us say, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it like that from now on. And then if, after a few days or a few weeks, we can look back and go, oh, it didn't really change what I do. Why does that happen? I think we need to accept and identify that we all have ingrained ways of thinking. We all have like set, stuck in ways of doing things. Um, kids, you guys, are, you guys are better at this than us. You guys don't have as many of these like stuck in ways of thinking, which is why that you're better at learning stuff. Um, and, and, and it's an example of why we need to be more like you. Um, but we all end up with these locked in, ingrained ways of doing things and thinking. And, and so it's not just about us learning something new. We don't need to just learn new things, but we need to be changed. Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants to transform us by renewing our minds. Um, but it's a, it's a process. It's a process, and it does take time, and it does take learning things multiple times. So I think we need to acknowledge that, and maybe we can cut ourselves a little bit of slack. Maybe we can cut Jonah a little bit of slack, because maybe this story is just a step in Jonah's journey of transformation. Maybe the fact that he doesn't get it by the end is not the worst thing, because maybe this is just a step towards where God is taking him. We don't really know how it ends. And I think that God does teach us things multiple times, and, and there are steps on our journey. But I think that it's worth us just understanding and thinking about how do we make the most of everything that we learn? How do we make each learn count as much as possible? So I want to finish up by just offering three suggestions of how we can make the most of those moments when God speaks to us and we hear him. The first thing I encourage us to do, I think that we need to be open I think we need to be open. So our brains, just the way that our brains work will actively fight against new or challenging information. It's just the way that we are. We will, we will resist logic and facts to ridiculous degrees if they don't agree with what we already believe. And so to be open to the change that God wants to do in us, we need to accept that we might be wrong about some stuff. I encourage you, just think about how, how willing are you um, how open are you to the idea that you might be wrong about something? Pixar is, I'm just going to say, Pixar is the most creative animation studio in existence. Fight me. The, the reason why they're able to, to have this creativity is because management has an understanding and they've said things like they, they, all, they assume that at all times, they're doing something wrong, there is some problem, and they're stifling someone's creativity. And they're constantly working to fix those things. Which means that they're constantly looking for new ways to, to do things better and to, and to foster creativity. And that's what allows them to create the things that they do. If we, if we want God to, to change the way that we think, we need to be open 
to the idea that we might be wrong and we, and we might need to be corrected. And we need to be extra intentional about letting him bring change. Secondly, be open. We also need to be accountable. It's easier to, um, to remember what God has done and what God has said when we have somebody helping us remember it. Um, that's why if you've ever done the Discovery Bible Method, uh, there's always a question in there that's who are you going to tell, right? You've read the Word of God, it's spoken to you, who are you going to tell about what it said? Um, not primarily for them, but for you, because it's easier to remember that when you've got a friend who can, who can remind you or who can look out for you slipping back to your old ways of thinking. Jonah has God himself playing that role, and that's kind of what we see play out in Jonah chapter 4. God asks Jonah some questions and gives him some examples to, to, to remind him of some truths about God. Um, and unfortunately, we don't really know how Jonah responded to it in the end. He just kind of is angry and resists. But for us, we need accountability to make change stick and keep changing us. I encourage you to also think about who you can be that friend for. Who tells you when God speaks to them? And who can you help remember what God has said? So we need to be open, we need to be accountable, and finally, we need to be proactive. We need to be proactive. See, when we want to change, we often expect change to begin with a change in motivation, right? We've learned something, we've gone, oh, this is good, I need to, I need to change how I do things, I'm going to want to do it different. And then we, we don't change because we don't actually want to yet. Psychology tells us that our thoughts affect our emotions, which then affect how we feel in our body, which then affects our actions and what we do, which then kind of complete the circle by affecting our thoughts. And so we can't just will our thoughts or our emotions to change. What we can do is force little actions that will then impact our thoughts. God wants to change the way that we think and we engage with him in that process, not by trying to force our thinking to change, but by forcing our actions to change in a way that impacts our thinking. Let me give you an example. About a month ago, I had a conversation with my wife, Georgia. Um, we were talking and she said to me, like a specific situation had arisen. And she said, in this kind of situation, I need you to encourage me. And I thought, okay, cool, I can do that, easy. I'll remember that, next time this happens, I'll be encouraging. And then I thought about it a bit more and I thought, we've had that conversation before. You ever had a moment like that? You're like, yeah, oh, wait, no, we've had this exact conversation a little while ago. And I started thinking, why did nothing change? Why didn't I, I should, I already knew that. I should have already been doing it. Why wasn't I doing it? Why didn't I respond that way when I knew that's how I should respond, right? And how do I know that change is gonna happen this time around? So I, I decided to try something. I thought rather than trying to remember extra hard to be encouraging in a specific circumstance, I thought I'm just gonna try and be encouraging all the time. I'm just going to try and encourage every day, right? And just, just for whatever reasons I can find, I'll encourage every day. And maybe when that specific situation comes up, encouragement will just be a more natural response from me. And I can tell you that it worked. And Georgia will tell you that it worked, because I did check and I did ask her. Um, that it, that it worked. So when these specific moments came out, it was just more natural for me to be encouraging when it 
didn't used to be because I was looking for those opportunities. So rather than saying, oh, the next time I'm in that situation, I need to be more like this, we need to change the way that we approach it to, to just, I'm gonna try and be like that every day. Rather than, oh, I need to be more compassionate in that situation, just how can I be compassionate every day? And pray and ask God for those opportunities if you can't find them. The book of Jonah shows us this horrible truth that we all have ingrained patterns of thinking. And these patterns threaten, us, threaten to hold us back from the life that we're created for. And I believe that God wants to change the way we think and he wants us to engage with him in that process. There's a one final note at the end of the book of Jonah that is, I think, a note of hope. The last couple of verses of Jonah chapter 4 is God speaking to Jonah. And the book kind of cuts off mid-conversation between Jonah and God, which in one way is an unexpectedly unsatisfying ending. But at the same time, I think the fact that the last couple of verses of the book are God speaking is a note of hope. Because God was still speaking. We don't know what happened next. We don't know whether Jonah got it whether God got Jonah to where he was supposed to be or whether Jonah just never got there. But what we do know is that God continued speaking. And for us, it's not about what Jonah did or what he didn't do. It's about what we have the opportunity to do. Because God is continuing to speak to us as well. So we don't need to we don't, we don't need to see Jonah overcome his shortcomings in order to have hope that we can overcome ours. We, we get to have that hope because of Jesus. We get to have that hope because we have a Savior who has overcome the world. He is bigger than our fears. He's bigger than our limitations. He's bigger than our weaknesses. And he died on the cross and was raised to life so that we could have connection and life with God so that you could receive the Holy Spirit and never be alone and walk through the darkest valley and walk the road of trials and fear no evil. And so if you've, if you've never said yes to that invitation of life with God, then I encourage you, if you've never said yes to it, say yes to Jesus this morning. The invitation is right there before you. Just say, Lord Jesus, I call you king. I believe you died for me. I want to say yes to that relationship and connection. The invitation is there. We are about to head into a time of worship. And, uh, and as we do, I just want to encourage you, all of us, to just ask God this one question. God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? Because God's continuing to speak. And if we will be open and be accountable and be proactive, we'll receive what He's saying. It'll start to transform how we think and how we act, and we'll be able to put it into practice and see and let and allow God to transform us into the people we were always meant to be. So why don't we stand together and... Um, and let's, let's worship. Let's give God all our attention. Let's invite Him to speak. Heavenly Father,
thank you that you're here. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us as we worship you? Thank you, Lord.